Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support, the fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly masterclasses with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today, Josh and I are going to discuss an article um, that was written some years ago about building a psychological profile of Olympic medalists and world champions and look at various portions of that article and and then apply it to the tennis world. Um, The idea of creating a profile for... um, even if you look at it, different categories, Josh, people who win multiple major titles, people who win one major title, people who are maybe winning, you know, less than that. And and then all the way down the scale, uh, I mean, maybe not get to a beginner per se here, but there are, are certainly uh, lessons to be learned from this particular paper that could be applied throughout the development process. But we'll probably take a look more at the the elite level of the sport. Um, and then try to come up with some actionable items for our listeners in terms of how you can use this information in your own development, because I do think that there are some interesting conclusions one can draw from some of the things that uh, that we're going to look at in, in today's discussion. We're mostly going to stick with three themes, um, and this particular study was looking at the difference between athletes who had won multiple medals or multiple championships versus those who had only won something one time, a single time. So multiple winners versus single winners. So obviously we're looking at a small, relatively small group of elite athletes because obviously to win something once is rather significant. And in the sport of tennis, we have we have plenty of players who fall into the single winner category. And, and we have a few who have obviously fallen into the the multiple winner category. So if you were to think of the sport of tennis, this might be something where we're comparing, say, a Djokovic, Nadal, Federer to, you know, somebody who's only won one, maybe a Dominic team or some somebody like that, or that that generation of players, maybe some people who've gone to finals. Uh same with on the women's side, uh, you know, Igish Fiontech versus somebody who's only won one title over the years. And, you know, I think on the women's side, we've had a bunch of, of those. It's more kind of spread out depth on the women's side, as far as that goes. Um, and so when we're looking at the comparison or when this paper is doing the comparison of multiple winners to, to single winners, we're going to concentrate or focus on three categories that were, I think, most interesting to both of us. Uh, one was on the differences in concentration between those two groups, the differences in concentration errors 
and the differences in decision making. Um, so, Josh, before we jump into those, you know, get into our first category of concentration, any initial thoughts on the article itself? Um, anything like that? Yeah, it was interesting. I thought how they broke it down, how it was broken down between multiple um, championship winners um, and those who had just won, won once. And I think they, and, and they start with an interesting point where they, they talk about Kevin Curran and they talk about his, um, you know, how he struggled to just be, I think he talked about not maybe not having the discipline or the consistency to repeat um, his, his success. So I think, um, yeah, when we think about, um, when we think about comparing these sorts of people, I think it's a lot about, can you sustain it? Right. It's not just about, can you get there? Can you do it once, but do you have the ability to do it over a long period of time? And when we think about, an Iga Sviantec or a Djokovic, a Nadal, a Federer, a Serena, you know, so many of the greats, it's not just their ability to be great for two weeks at a Grand Slam. It's their ability to sustain that over a decade or as some that we've seen recently, you know, maybe two decades. Um, and I think that really is the the difference maker, right? And I think, you know, it it just shows, and I think we'll we'll look at some of the different qualities of that, some of the things that can lead to some of that consistency, lead to that sort of longevity, lead to that greatness over time. Um, but I, I think it was interesting how they broke that down, where instead of, I mean, there's been past studies where they've compared more of the general population to elite athletes, or maybe they're comparing Olympic athletes to collegiate athletes or Olympic athletes to... Um, more of the general population. But it, this one was interesting that they were looking at, obviously, two groups of elite athletes, but differentiating based on those different levels of success or the more sustained success compared to the ones that, that reach the top, but maybe don't stay there in that same way. Yeah. That, yeah. I thought it was an interesting and, and, and valuable to see because, you know, we do see and people always ask these questions, you know, so like what's what's different about the big three versus everybody else. What's different about, you know, even Iga Sviantek and the Serena Williams and the locker room power that they have and the ability to, you know, Iga is obviously early in her career, but she's already establishing a track record. Serena obviously has an, an amazing track record. So what, what what is different between them and, and the others because of that sustained success? Well, we've seen, Maybe we don't have to even look at single winners in tennis. It could be even people who've gotten to the finals of different things. You know, like a, a Danielle Collins stands out a little bit. Sophia Kennan, um, you know, people who've gotten there. Um, but then then they haven't been able to repeat that, right? Is it, as you said, Josh, is it two weeks of great tennis or is this really the beginning of something? And you brought up Kevin Curran, you know, Kevin Curran, lost in the final of Wimbledon in 1985 to Boris Becker um, in his first win. And uh, so I think the the quote is interesting. Yeah, he was asked if this was a breakthrough for him, you know, getting to that Wimbledon final. He said, no, it wasn't a breakthrough. And he went on to say that he had a lot of talent and once in a while he would hold things together enough to make a final or win a tournament, but he didn't have the kind of drive and dedication that consistent winners have. 
Now, it's pretty self-aware to to admit that. Um, and uh, I think a, pro- a lot of tennis players, a lot of elite tennis players would fall into that category. They have the games to make it, you know, when it clicks, they can make it work. Um, but do they have that that real drive and dedication? Do they really know why they're playing, uh, what they're playing for? Is that clear enough in their own mind? Who, who knows? Where I think with players like Serena and and the big three on the men's side, they they had a very clear purpose and motivation to what they were doing. So let's begin with um, the first scale of things that uh, were compared. And and the researchers used something called the attentional and interpersonal style inventory. So this is an assessment of 144 items looking at various um, categories of attention and, and, and how you relate to other people. And so concentration is one of those. And then concentration was broken down into uh, basically three categories, awareness, um, analysis, or being like analytical out there, and uh, and focused. And so interesting um, results here, Josh, right? So when we look at the, the, the comparison of the single winners and the multiple winners, the awareness aspect of concentration is is higher not super significantly higher uh for the single winners they're a little bit paying attention more to their awareness it's much they tend to be much more analytical that was a pretty big difference and then the multiple winners were significantly more more focused so what i took this to mean was that um Multiple winners are better at being more in the present moment, um, where those who only win once, and I think we could also have this other elite athletes or or um, the general population of the elite athletes tend to be um, overly analytical about things. That that's sort of the first thing that came to mind. For me, but I want to. I want to see what you think. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting just just seeing the how their um, their concentration differed in that way, um, and and just seeing you know the, the different types of um, the the con, uh, concentration skills and and in the article which we'll link to in the show notes, um, you th- they have a graph, um, and it it's just interesting how with the they break it down into three pieces, the aware, analytical, and focused. And with aware and analytical, they're they're relatively close, um, especially on the aware piece, um, where single winners were more analytical than um, multiple winners. But then on the focus piece, it's a, a you know a, a quite a large difference in terms of um, the multiple winners. and and you can really see it as a, as a jump where, where the multiple winners are at a certain level for the aware and analytical piece. And then for the focus piece, it really is a big jump. And I think, yeah, I, I, I think I took a similar, um, I had a similar takeaway in terms of the, the present moment um, focus piece. Um, but, but also I think it's, yeah, as we've talked about, it's that ability to sustain it. 
that ability to sustain focus over a long period of time. And that could mean a career, you know, that could mean a 10, 15, 20 year career, as we've seen with some of the greats, but that can also mean over a match, you know, that, that that's you know, at the pro level, especially on the men's side and best of five, that might be five hours or six hours. Um, but on, you know, on the women's side at the non grand slam level in a three set match, that could be three, three and a half hours and the ability to maintain focus over that period of time and not get overly analytical and, and sort of lost in thought and have that paralysis by analysis because you're focusing on so many different things at the same time is a huge advantage. So when you can focus on one big thing, and, and we, we talked about this with Sean Brawley, actually, in a, in a past episode, the ability to really be focused on what is most important. He, you know, worked with Tim Galloway for many years and, and, in in the book, uh, the inner game of tennis from Tim Galloway, he talks about, you know, choosing the most important thing to focus on, which he points to the ball, which I think is, uh, probably a good thing for just about everyone to focus on. But going back to this article, I think the, the, it seems, you know, one of my takeaways is that the, one of the big differences is that these multiple championship winners are able to focus at a, at a higher level and maybe choose one thing to be focused on. Maybe it's the ball. Maybe it's their opponent. They're just really trying to be aware of their opponent's weaknesses. And I think when, when I see Djokovic, I, I see him doing that. I see sometimes he gives himself that first set and he's and that's what he's focused on. Maybe his game isn't at that same level as it could be. And I think we saw this actually at the French Open and his matches against Kachanov, his match against Kasper Ruud as well, where maybe he started a little slow, but he used that time to analyze, to you know notice and analyze his opponent. So I think one of my big takeaways is that one of the differences seems to be that that focus seems to be a little bit more concentrated, a little bit more directed towards one point where on the the single winners who maybe have the ability to get there, um, it, it seems to be more, there, there seems to be more analysis happening, but maybe it's analysis of different types of things. So rather than that single point of focus, it seems to be maybe a broader focus. And and they even talked about this in terms of the errors that were made, where it seemed like the errors were more made based on, you know, over focus or over, you know, being um, too narrow in their focus. Um, when it came to the multiple winners and, it, and the, you know, more based on distraction or more based on analysis based for the, um, for the single winners. So I, I that, that was probably my biggest takeaway. And I think as we look at, you know, listeners and, and how they could apply some of this knowledge to their own games, I think um, there, in my conversations with players, there's a lot of, oftentimes, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on tactics and strategy and constantly trying to figure things out. And I think what this is actually saying is that that's not really the way to, to be focused more like the Sean Brawley thing. And remember he told us that story about how he interviewed Federer right after he won the 2017 Australian Open. He was doing an event, I think, for Wilson. And he asked him, right, how did you do it? And, and Federer's response was that at a certain point, he just exclusively focused on the ball. That's exactly, I think, what this graph is saying. This is a guy who won many, many 
uh, major titles. And what's he telling you? He's only focusing on the ball. I think sort of underneath that, though, he's got a ton of experience with playing his way. He trusts his way. And so he can just rely on that. That is that's learned. He has a, you know, an unconscious level of competence with his style of play. And he can relax and just focus on the ball. Where I think a lot of players get very hung up on what's the score, what's working in the moment, what do I need to do now? What's my what are my tactics and strategy? Um, and we'll see how that works out into the next category of concentration errors. But um, I would caution against that. And um, can you instead focus on something very simple like your breathing? As you know, that's another thing that's in the inner game of tennis is to focus on your breathing between points. Is it can it be focusing on the ball and and learning to trust that process much much more? Um, you know, the awareness one they're pretty pretty close the single and the multiple winners and you know when i think of awareness it can be awareness of your body um it could be a lot of things here right and it's not exactly spelled out in the article what that is but they're pretty close either way but i think we can make a pretty good distinction between the analytical piece and the focus piece and there are significant differences there so you started to allude to josh you know how those two things really led into um, the errors part. So the, the single winners uh, tended to have more of their errors due to overanalysis. And the multiple winners had more of their errors due to being too narrow with their focus, maybe not including enough information. So when we think of narrow focus, think of perhaps putting your hands together right in front of your face and and having like a very narrow view of things, right? And that's all you can see through. Um, and sometimes it gets so small that you're going to miss relevant details. Um, if you start to expand the space between your hands, now you're you're beginning to broaden your view and you're taking in more information. Of course, that can get too big, too big at certain points, right? Now you're not taking, not able to zoom in on the on the correct relevant details. But what this is saying is that sometimes. The multiple winners, if they do make concentration errors, it's because they were too focused maybe on one little tiny thing and, and missed something else. Um, so I think that's that's an interesting thing. But I think the the errors due to overanalysis is to me is is more interesting. Um because I think that's more common for tennis players is to overanalyze things, which then leads to maybe even our next category, it works its way out into the decisions you make on the court. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, no, I think it's interesting to look at these, at these, at these groups in this way, because yeah, I think it, this is a seems, seems definitely linked to the first piece that we talked about. Um, And yeah, interesting to see that the errors, because obviously both make errors and we talk about how, um frequent those those are that that people tend to to win you know even the best players in the world they're only winning about 55 percent of their points so those errors will come but it's interesting to see where they are coming from and and i think we i know we've talked in the past about you know what are good mistakes maybe versus bad mistakes or versus you know less productive 
mistakes. And, you know, what are the types of situations where somebody's going for the right shot or focusing on the right thing and maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe they miss or they you know, the execution's not there or their opponent beats them in some way. But it's interesting to see here with, with these multiple championship winners that, yeah, it, it, they, they often are, you know, extremely focused, but sometimes that can be a little bit too narrow. And, um, you know, maybe it's, maybe the their peers, whether those are single championship winners or just the general elite athlete population, um, maybe their peers don't have the ability necessarily to narrow their focus in that same way, but it also shows that that can be a drawback in a certain way that sometimes, you know, the ability to have a little bit of a broader focus and be aware of certain things, you know, of, of more things can have its advantages, but it seems overall that the, the downside of that is that those errors can come from different places. Those errors can come from the analysis over analysis. Those errors can come from the distraction piece um, rather than, you know, them being too narrowly focused on something. So I, I thought that was interesting as well. I think in terms of how people can apply that, I think, you know, the ability to broaden and narrow focus is definitely a skill, right? And I think, I think it all comes back to awareness. Can we be aware of where our errors are coming from? Can we notice when we're distracted? Can we notice when we're lost in thought, overanalyzing something? Can we notice when maybe our attention is too narrow in a certain moment? And I'm just, maybe I, I decide I want to focus on the ball, but then I lose sight of other things that are happening on the court. I lose sight of the fact that my opponent has one side or the other that that's much weaker and I'm not targeting their weakness enough or I lose sight of the fact that maybe their their volleys or a certain volley maybe it's their high backhand volley is really weak and I'm so focused on the ball or I'm so focused on my own game or I'm so focused on my mistake from the last point that I'm not aware of that so you know I, I think again can we notice and can we be aware of where our mistakes are coming from and where our attention is and then can we have the ability to broaden or narrow our focus as needed? Yeah, definitely. I think anytime when we're working more on present moment focus, we can always improve that. And, uh, you know, whether we're focusing on something that is not super relevant, you know, I think um, it could even be smaller details that people are getting fixated on and, uh, and missing even something like basic like breathing or, or the ball. When we look at the the analysis errors, it's a really big difference between the multiple and the single winners. The, the multiple winners make far fewer of their mistakes because they've overanalyzed something, which is interesting. That almost mm -hmm. like they they don't see that as maybe a super important part of what they're trying to do. And perhaps they're trusting more on that side of things. Uh, the distraction errors were basically the same, uh, which again, interesting. For the for the single winners, they their errors really were fairly equal amongst being distracted, overanalyzing, uh, or or uh, too narrow in focus. But uh, it was really skewed on the multiple winner side. So yeah, some interesting stuff here, and it's it's almost like their concentration strengths 
almost when used to an extreme level, become weaknesses. And I think that's true of any part of life. Um, you know, you ha- we have to do things in in generally with temperance and and, and moderation. Uh, even too much of a good thing is not a good thing. So, and I think we see that here. Um, and again, we're comparing the elite to the elite. So uh, it's it's important to obviously have some level of being analytical out there. It can't be zero. The same with awareness. Um, but I think an improvement of focus and and learning to trust yourself so you don't overanalyze too much is 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 important. Um, and then of course this also works out into the next category, which is uh, decision making. So here the scale was on and we can kind of debate the use of this term, Josh, but they uh, put basically two types of decision-making out there, impulsive versus cautious. And I don't really like the word cautious, especially from a tennis perspective, because I feel like that's going to, if I tell you to be cautious on the court, I don't know that that, I'm going to get what I want out of that language, but we can talk about how that that is. Um, So to be clear, both of these groups are lower than your average athlete in terms of impulsive decision-making, right? So impulsive decision-making might be making a a quick decision on the fly. It might be that ego-oriented shot. I'm going to go down the line with this this forehand, even though I'm on the run, um, versus a decision that's a little bit slower, um, that values accuracy more than anything. It values the minimization of errors. I don't want to use avoiding like they did in the article. Again, avoiding, use that word, it leads to avoidance behavior. Um, So I think we want to create behaviors that help us to minimize errors. And so, you know, not surprisingly, I think that um, single winners make more impulsive decisions than multiple winners. Um, the difference between those two wasn't super significant, but the difference between the two groups in terms of what they'll call cautious decision-making versus, you know, between was, was big, quite significant. And so I I would propose Josh that even if we go back to our rules-based thinking episode, that we look at cautious more as disciplined and we're curious what you think of that. Yeah, I I also took issue with some of the, um, some some of the the phrasing that that they use in terms of caution, in terms of avoiding. Um, so yeah, I, I I think discipline makes a lot of sense, and I think you know when we look at some of these top players, that they, they clearly they clearly have that. They they're clearly not on a big point. They're clearly not thinking about all the different patterns that they could play. They're sticking to the patterns that that work best for them. They're you know, they're sticking to their their bread and butter. Maybe there are certain moments where they stray from that discipline a bit, but um, in general, it's that's what you're seeing, especially in the biggest moments. So I think, um, yeah, I, I, I would sort of, yeah, I, I agree that something like discipline is more of the opposite of impulsive here. Um, and yeah, it's not a big surprise that these multiple Grand Slam or Grand Slam uh, championship winners are lower in the impulsive side. And I, I think, um, you know, 
both, you know, both groups and obviously both are elite and an ultra elite really um, are, are lower in this impulsive side, but it is very interesting that on this side that they, they call cautious or, you know, disciplined or maybe more structured in their decision-making um, that there really was quite a, quite a, a big difference. And I, I, again, I would encourage people who are listening, who are interested in, in diving a little bit deeper here to go to the art, to go to the article, because it's, it's laid out visually where you can see graphs for each of these three categories. And you can, um, you can see clearly the, the differences. And, and this is based on a, a large sample size as well for, for both groups. So it's not, it's not like this is just based on a few, um, a few athletes in, in each group. Um, so yeah, I, I would encourage people to do that as well, but it, I, I think it's, it's, it really is interesting just to see the, how these multiple slam winners who maybe were able to do it over and over and over again, regardless of circumstance, regardless of which of their peers were playing in that they're competing in that championship. Um, it, they, they seem to really rely on that, on that piece of things that, that cautious piece or that um, discipline piece, um, which, which makes sense. And I think if we think about a Serena or we think about a Djokovic um, or any, any of those top players, um, we see that and, and, and we see that, that they've gotten to where they are because they're able to replicate decisions. They're able to replicate decisions. They're not making it up on the fly. They're not making drastic changes to their game. Have, have both of them and have all of the top players made changes during their career? Yes. Have they made adjustments? Have they tinkered? Yes. But in general, their decision-making process is consistent. And I think that has led to that, you know, is one of the main factors that has led to the consistency of their results and the consistency of their success over time. I think you used a good word a few minutes ago, structured, disciplined, structured. It's when they go out on the court, they know exactly what they're going to do. They know when they're in this position relative to the baseline or the single sideline where this shot should go. So they have an understanding of the percentage plays, the right shot, the right time. And the impulsive one is, I think, the one who is looking at the low percentage shot as as a really viable option and perhaps hits that too many times and um i think that's when you compare some of these players who have maybe had a good couple of weeks and they get to a final um that's the hard part to sustain is that a lot of their game that got them to that final has been most likely some impulsive decision-making that is very hard to bring consistency to over the course of 12 months, two years, where when you have a very structured way of playing the game using your own strengths and you understand the geometry of the court and where certain shots should go at certain times and you're very good at sticking to those things, um, you're going to create or have a better chance of creating uh, long lasting success. And that's why, you know, I think with Djokovic, there's tremendous, obviously talent and, and everything there, but the mind, the discipline about his, his shot selection is, is, is top notch. And it's to me, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that he is where he is today sitting, you know, with 23 major titles and, and, and likely to win more. 
Um, you know I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if he were to complete the calendar Grand Slam at his age? You know, I'm sort of digressing here, but um, I think this is one of those areas where it makes him so difficult to beat because he's great at hitting the right shot at the right time. And then obviously all of his physical attributes help him to, to be in position, et cetera. So I thought this was a really important part of it. And so I think we even go, you know, expand on, on our rules-based decision-making. Part of the reason we wanted to present that as a, an episode is to encourage all of you to start to develop your own mental model about what are the right shots for me based on where I'm standing in the court um, and understand, you know, the geometry of the game and the the height of the net and, you know, that cross court, you know, diagonal shots are, are higher percentage because you can hit a longer ball and, and, you know, and little items like that. So that when you're in a position, you know how to do that and you're going to be much more likely to, uh, sustain success if anybody ever gets a chance to do like gg fernandez's doubles method i mean she's a huge proponent of cross court cross court cross court um and she likes to do drills with players testing them at how good they really are at hitting the ball down the line and um you know in general people aren't that as good at that shot as they think they are um, and so it's, uh, understanding these things and, you know, obviously she's a hall of famer, multiple grand slam winner in, in doubles. So, um, you know, when people like that tell you to be more structured and disciplined, there's a, you know, there's, there's a good amount of credibility there. So I think that that's, that's what we see, um, you know, from these, these, these multiple winners, you compare Djokovic say to a Malfis, you're going to get much more impulsivity out of Malfis. Super entertaining. But, you know, on a, on a physical athletic scale, you know, when they were younger, wouldn't you put them the same level, Josh, if not Malfis, even more athletic? Yeah. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. He's fast, jumps high, hits the ball as hard as anybody. <clears throat> um, but it's that, you know, he's got a, a different flair going on. Um, and he does some amazing, extremely entertaining things, which is great for the crowd, but may not be as good for him in terms of, um, you know, winning multiple championships of any, any type and, and sometimes boring tennis wins. Right. Um, so it's, 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 it's a tough one for everybody to, to, to figure out, I think, but the more that you build your own structure around what you're good at, uh, the better you chance you have of more sustained success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, and that's going to look different for each person, right? That's, that's absolutely going to look different for each person. You know, what one player might really excel with their serve and their volley. And for them, that structure means that they're, they're running that play. They're, they're doing that as often as possible. Another player is more of a counter puncher. Um, their their best qualities are their consistency, their speed, their spin, their defense, and they're being structured about that. They're not going. They're not coming into net too much if that's not their 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 if that's not their best quality. 
They're sticking to what works. And I think that when we think about decision-making, it really is having a system, having a structure, um, and then being really disciplined about it. Not, it doesn't mean we're doing that a hundred percent of the time, you know, we don't want to be maybe too predictable, but especially when it matters most, having something that we can rely on, having a plan, having a, a system for ourselves, just like we would see. And I know we've talked about this in the past, just like if we were watching a basketball team or a football team and they're running a play, right? Football, maybe you hear it audibly, um, basketball still, they'll, they'll run plays in, in other sports as well, obviously. Um, but having that, that play where it's like, okay, I'm serving on the deuce side. This is the play that I like to run. I like to use my slice serve, my spin serve out wide. Um, and it opens up the court and moves my opponent over into maybe the doubles alley. Um, and then I'm really trying to set up my forehand, trying to hit it into the opposite corner. Maybe I follow that one into the net and try to finish the point from the net or whatever it is. But I have a clear plan, a clear structure, a play that I'm trying to run. And I'm being disciplined about it. If I notice over time I'm winning a high percentage of points on that, then I'm trying to use that more. I'm trying to use that on those big points especially. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the piece that I think of with this decision-making piece. Um, so I guess the question that I have for you, Brian, is what are maybe as we take a step back and we, we've looked at the three categories. Um, if we were to think about some maybe broader conclusions or some, you know, some, some tangible things that people can either bring to their games or even just new perspectives of how they approach their games, approach their training, approach maybe big moments with, within their competitive matches. Um, what, what would you say are, are some of your biggest takeaways? I think um, the whole idea of being more, present focused and and working on that on the court. And, and I think that's picking, picking, you know, little things like your breathing, uh, watching the ball, um, just so that you can try to, um, I don't know, block out the rest of what else is going on, you know, to, so that you're not distracted by the score. Um, you're not distracted by perhaps the loss of one or two points and feel the need to, completely change who you are or what your tactics are. I think that that's something we want to avoid. Um, and then, yeah, learning more about what you're good at and, and how you can begin to trust that, that more. And certainly uh, some research into what are good shots from different parts of the court, um, et cetera, is certainly worthy of that. But, you know, when we look at, um, multiple winners. Federer obviously is a very different player than Djokovic and Nadal, yet highly successful, much more aggressive and attacking than those other two guys. Uh, he can play defense, but that's not his his stance, right? So he's a great example of someone who is an offensive player, but knew exactly like what you were saying, Josh knew exactly what he liked to do, knew exactly what he was good at. He designed a game that's very difficult to counter. And, you know, what what are his, his strengths? He's an amazingly accurate serve, which obviously with a good deal of pace. Uh, tremendous forehand, especially inside out. Um, just the way he hits that and comes across 
his body as opposed to over the shoulder, right? And a lot of spin on that ball that you don't you don't really perceive. Um, so you don't just you don't have to be a counterpuncher sort of defensive style like a Djokovic or Nadal, who can then also play offense. So it's really about finding your own your own style and then putting that together with some good decisions. So um, to me, that th- those would be the, the kind of the conclusions I would get out of this, the actionable piece of learn to be more present so that you can be also be less analytical, less looking to change all the time, stick with what you know, um, look to build your own structure around your game, and then, and then simply go practice this more and more so you can build trust and confidence. You know, one of the things that was uh, interesting about the article they mentioned, you know, world world champions are more willing to take responsibility and assume a leadership role. So that's probably more team oriented, right? Um, but they take more responsibility. They're more confident and they're more physically competitive. So those are all things that people can work on. You can work on your confidence either just through your body language, how you speak to yourself. You know, certainly self talk could be a big part of this, Josh. Uh, in terms of uh, even that could be a focal point is creating a script for yourself and simply taking the responsibility to to go do this stuff, uh, to be committed, to be motivated to to work on your game. So I think there are a lot of good uh, a lot of good conclusions that one could draw from this, even even at a broad level. So curious, you know, what how might you present this to a player? Yeah, I think I think many of many of those same things. I think. You know the, the the goal is is when, when we think about being the best player that we can be, it's not reaching that level once. It's about doing yeah. that over time, right? It's it's not about okay, I want to have one great great tournament. It's about I want to be a great player, and a great player plays at a high level the majority or the vast majority of the time. So, you know, and I think actually it would be interesting to if. You know, sometimes they they talk about with with studies, you know, follow up studies. What what would be interesting to do in the future? I think it would be interesting, maybe in a tennis context, to look at seniors, to look at senior players in maybe the you know in, in different age divisions and see if the the findings were similar, right? The the players that that were able to sustain it, or look at junior players, right? The players in in each age group, the players that not just had success once. But you know who was able to to do that over time, um, and I think I think you'll find many of the same things that that focus piece, that discipline piece, that structured decision making piece. Um, all of these pieces I think are would be consistent in, in different contexts. I mean, just like you know, in, in this study they were looking at different sports, but I think it would be interesting in tennis to look at it in terms of different levels as well. You know, the the players that are successful among their peers, among their pool of players and, you know, junior players, senior players, um, co- collegiate players, um, and, and see what differentiates them. And I, I would, I would theorize, I would guess that it would, it would be similar qualities because it, these are the types of qualities that, 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 that lead towards that, that high performance state that, that we're looking for, right. It's that, it's that, yeah, it, it's all these different pieces. It's the concentration. It's the um, the right type of mistakes. It's the um, knowing themselves. I think in in order to make those mistakes 
you know, th- those right type of mistakes more often and being more aware of those mistakes that are being made. And it's that decision-making piece. So I think that, that, that is maybe what I would say. And I think, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot that people can take away from this, take away from the conversation, but also, you know, reading it, it's not a particularly long study, um, including the, the, the citations, including the, um, graphs and that sort of thing. It's, it's about 10 pages long, so it's not a tremendously long read. Um, so, so I would encourage people to, to take a look at it. And I think there's a lot of, you know, of other conclusions that, that people could draw. And if, you know, if, if people read it and maybe they, they draw other conclusions, you know, feel free to reach out to us, feel free to let us know what, what you thought, what some of your takeaways are. We, we always, we always, um, love it when people reach out to us and share some of their thoughts. So, so definitely feel free to do that. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, the, you could even look at this from a coaching perspective, Josh. And I think there are like some really good things. If you're someone who's working with uh junior or, or even adult players, you know, in a club or academy setting, there's a lot of things to consider for how to develop your own curriculum, or even when you're working privately with a player, um, how to help them develop along these particular scales. So I think it's very valuable to look at the the qualities of the best of the best. Cause like you said, this isn't about winning one time. This is about sustained success and really a pursuit of mastery that that includes um that sustained success and winning, winning over and over again. Right. So um great discussion. I really appreciated that. So um and I hope everybody else listening did. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. As Josh mentioned, if you have any feedback or questions for us, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast so others can find it more easily. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. And you can also check us out on Instagram. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tennisiqpodcast slash membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the Tennis IQ podcast community. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.